This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Ringgit and Sense on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. You're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense, the show all about personal finance, and I'm Sim Weebun. For today's episode, we're recapping some of the memorable conversations we had on the show throughout the year. One of the key themes of the year was money and relationships. I had a series of conversations with several professionals to discuss how money impacts you and your partner. We started off the series with Soraya Zainuddin. She's the founder of Ringgit or Ringgit.com, and we talked about money and dating. I asked her, what are some of the red flags to avoid when you're just starting to date someone? I do think that there's one particular type of red flag that you should look out for. And this particular red flag, you should probably do your best to avoid when you're trying to date someone. You should avoid people who are within what they call the dark triad. Um, These are people who are narcissists, psychopaths, and Machiavellian. People with these traits tend to be callous and manipulative. They're willing to do or say practically anything to get their way. They have an inflated view of themselves and are often shameless about self-promotion. And these individuals are likely to be impulsive and may engage in dangerous behavior. And in some cases, they are more likely to manipulate you, including financially. Perhaps, you know, they could ask you to buy things uh, for them in order to prove their love. Like, oh, my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my tunang or my spouse asked me to buy this for them. If not, they will say they don't love me, right? They would manipulate you into getting into debt for them. They might feel entitled to your things, to your money, you know, like pay this for me, pay that for me. That was Soraya Zainuddin, founder of Ringgit or Ringgit.com. The next interview I had was with Rafik Hidayat. He's a managing director for Wealth Vantage Advisory. And we talked about the next stage, which was getting married and the kinds of conversations that you should have before you put a ring on it. One of it, obviously, because we're talking about weddings uh, earlier, right? Whether What are the expectations of each partner with regards to the wedding? Because I think this, this is the one of the first conversations that you need to have. When I was planning to get married, I had a discussion with my girlfriend at the time, uh, who's now my wife, in terms of, okay, uh, what was the uh, amount that I was willing to put aside for the wedding? My budget at the time was 20000 And I said, okay, this is what we can do with it, things like that. And why I couldn't go more than that? Because, I said, okay, I want to put down payment for a house, a car, things like that, so that we could be more comfortable after we got married. And based on the discussion, my partner at the time said, okay, uh, it's okay with it. But then uh, when I talked to my parents about the budget, then they said uh, they would like certain other things to be included. So then I said, this is how much I can afford. If you want more, more gas, things like that, please, uh, please sponsor. We stayed it. Lah. We stayed it. We, I thank them for that. But okay, so that's, that's the first part. What is the expectations of the wedding? Okay. Next is what are your financial goals? Uh, what are your career goals? When do you want to retire? Where do you want to retire? How much you're looking at when when uh, when when you retire? How many children that you would like to have? And once you have children, where do you want to send them for education? Uh, private school, uh, overseas. So these are some of the conversations that you have for the future. But at the same time, you should also be having a open conversation with regards to how you manage your current finances. That was Rafiq Hidayat, Managing Director of Wealth Vantage Advisory. 
Now, of course, getting married is just the beginning of your journey together with your partner. The rest is making the marriage work. And whether we like it or not, money plays an important factor. For the third episode of the series, I spoke to Dr. Selena Dang. She's a licensed financial planner for Core Plus Advisory. And we talked about managing finances as a couple. So managing finances as a couple can become tricky when you know, both parties actually have different money beliefs. And when couples have different priorities when it comes to spending, you know, and saving and investing, then, you know, there may be some trouble brewing there. When you talk about sharing expenses, there are perhaps a few options, you know, based on my experience with my clients, I've actually seen different scenarios in different households. So, of course, the first question is, to combine or not to combine. That is, you know, do we have a shared account or do you have, you know, or we have a shared account and we have our own personal account or do we manage our finances separately? So I've seen uh, my clients having one shared account. So both salaries actually go into this account. So if both um, husband and wife are working, okay, all their salaries will actually go into one account. And this account will pay for all expenses, you know, and this account will also be their savings, you know, their investment money. Uh, and uh, also this account will contribute towards their shared goals. When you have actually one shared account, is actually good in a way is that you know, both parties will be able to see the money moving in and out of the same account every month. So that can prevent any misunderstandings about household cash flow, okay, or even, you know, bad surprises or even, you know, may cause some major disagreement uh, that may actually cause uh, some disagreement further down the road. But then I have actually also seen my clients whereby they have more than one account. So it is basically one shared account Okay, so the couples will actually agree to a certain ratio of contribution towards that shared account, you know, whether it's a 50-50 or a certain percentage, you know, according to their take-home salary. Okay, and an extension to this shared account is actually where they have their own individual accounts. Okay, they maintain their separate uh, bank accounts to work towards their personal goals. And um, the third scenario would be where both spouses actually maintain separate bank accounts, you know, and each person actually have their assigned expense, you know, they just pay for the expenses that they have been assigned for and yeah, life just go on. That was Dr. Selena Dang, licensed financial planner with Core Plus Advisory. And for the final episode of this series for the year, I explored a subject that many often try not to think about when in a relationship, which is a divorce. Rosanna Rashid, a licensed financial planner and director for Alpine Advisory, shares some insights on how much a divorce can cost and the financial implications that come with it. Basically, if the type of divorce is uncontested, uh, both parties, husband and wife, are mutual, they have a mutual consent to to divorce. So this joint petition, which is called uh, in the law, uh, it takes, I think it may cost between uh, 3000 to 6000 uh, That's That's for the mutual consent. As for contested divorces, obviously it gets more complicated, especially if there's uh, a lot to be contesting about uh, when it comes to, you know, uh, financial matters or even custody of the kids and other assets involved. So that that could be in the tune of minimum of at least five, six thousands to, you know, six figures. Also depends on the experience of the lawyer and how long it takes. Obviously, the contested or uh, divorce is, is going to take longer. 
And obviously the legal fees itself uh, is going to be very, can be very expensive. So if you put aside all the, the legal fees and all the uh, court fees and filing fees, is the post-divorce, right? What, what happens then? Because, you know, you, you have to think that you may be married for a short or long time. And then, you know, when you're used to, for example, sharing expenses, and then suddenly you realize, uh, you know, uh, you're actually going to be living on one income. Expenses may rise in that sense. The cost of uh, getting a new place and also settling your own bills. And maybe back then it was a joint account to settle all these um, monthly bills. So th- this is one cost I can think of up front that you, you have to also think ahead. When you're going to go for a divorce, you're going to be well, you're going to be on your own. You have to be independent, if you like. The other thing that could be major to me, which needs to be really considered, is looking at like your insurance or takafu, right? For example, uh, something that needs to be looked at or reviewed is maybe uh, something like a medical insurance, where uh, it could be been borne by the other spouse before. And also you have to bear in mind the cost of, if there are kids, you know, involved in this uh, process, how, how are you going to manage the cost? And, you know, in some cases, it could be one of the spouse having to incur more of the of the burden of the cost for the child. So I would say these are the three main things I would say that you really have to consider in terms of your own cost uh, post-divorce. That was Rosanna Rashid, Licensed Financial Planner and Director for Alpine Advisory. We'll have more highlights from conversations on Ringgit and Cents in 2022. After these messages, stay with us, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to the best of Ringgit and Cents for 2022. I'm Sim Boon. Today, we're recapping some of the most interesting conversations we've had on Ringgit and Cents. Now, according to the police, Malaysia recorded a total of 71,833 scams, amounting to more than 5.2 billion ringgit losses reported from 2020 until May 2022. These scams range from online scams to love scams to job scams and many more. I've spoke to Kevin Neal, a licensed financial planner with VKA Wealth Planners, about some of these scams and how they work. A lot of us are susceptible to it and one of it could be uh, what we call a Macau scam. Uh, It typically involves someone calling us out of the blue then that person you are about to speak with happen to be someone from certain company. And most of the time, they may tell you that they represent government agency like uh, Bank Negara, Police Diraja Malaysia, or even custom officer. And they will start to uh, accuse you of certain things, which most of the time are quite serious criminal offense like money laundering which, uh, of course, we never do all these things, right? So when you hear this kind of accusation or allegation, uh, there are people who can get uh, really scared about all these things and thinking about the consequences, you'll be very afraid. So this is when they start to offer you a way out, which sometimes they may pass you to a higher authority, which is then this higher authority will, after talking to you, will offer you like someone he or she would know that can help you to get a way out. And of course, the final step involved, the victim-to-be have to transfer a lump sum of money to the person that they they so-called mentioned can give us a way out. Once we transfer uh, the first transfer, maybe they will call back and say that another person has discovered this helping and this person wants something from us as well. So you are asked to then transfer another time. And it can go on and on until 
uh, our common sense suddenly struck us that could I have been in a scam? Then that's when we start to maybe go do a little bit of internet search and we find that, hey, this is totally not new. Someone else has reported this kind of uh, story or pattern. Then when we really wake up and we stop to entertain their call. So uh, this kind of thing, they typically target our emotion as well. This is really about emotion and they target our feeling of being afraid or fearful. A lot of time is really, we have to be very careful. No matter who, who we answered the phone, right? No matter who they said they are representing, it is always best for us to uh, call back using our phone, call back to the landline. Do not call back to whatever number that you are receiving that phone call from because of course, uh, the person who answered the call will be some of someone from the scanner team. I think that will be the safest step to protect ourselves. That was Kevin Neal, licensed financial planner with VKA Wealth Planners. Now, according to a report by Bank Nagara in 2021, Malaysian households have nearly 1.38 trillion ringgit worth of debt. And while the total household debt is mostly housing loans, personal loans and credit card debt stood at 28%. So I spoke to Idram Idris, he's a director and licensed financial planner with Wealth Vantage Advisory, about the dangers of taking personal loans. The dangers of a personal loan is, first of all, when you know you have a habit to spend on unnecessary things. Now, you just have to reflect on yourself. Have I bought things that, you know, ultimately I didn't use or it was actually totally waste of money. I had to sell it or I have to give it away. It's for a want rather than a need, you know. So sometimes it can be like little things, but I've heard like people spend uh, taking on personal loans and really got get into trouble like some clients that had taken out personal loans for a huge wedding so they're still early on in their in their life they're very young and then you take out a huge loan and then starting your marriage off with a huge debt so can you imagine having this big loan hanging over both of the couples and they're trying to build up their house you know they're trying to buy their first home uh, uh maybe manage their first child buying their first car and then on top of that they have their wedding loan <laughs> it's it's it can, it's a recipe for disaster honestly and then other things like um taking out personal loan to go on vacation right so you go on vacation have a really good time come back and then you really have this this debt that is just hanging over you the other thing is when you can actually afford the monthly payment. So this is interesting. Like people feel like, oh yeah, I need to do this or I need to do that. Or maybe I should maybe I should just take a loan. You know, I've heard it so many times. It's it's like it's like automatic. Like it's an like automatic thought when they think about something that they need to do that might require some money instead of saving for it, they would rather like, oh maybe I could take up a loan. And then as it turns out, you can't actually afford the monthly payments because some of them uh, some of the uh, they are just really on the edge. They might have some surplus, they might qualify for a loan, but then they didn't factor in like certain big expenses, right? So throughout the year, you usually have some major expenses, like uh, you need to service your car. You service your car, it may cost 500 ringgit. You need to pay take the insurance for the car, another 1,500 ringgit. Um, spending for Hari Raya, so you want to give ang paus and you want to um, buy the uh, festivities, uh, the clothings, right? So that's another costing. So in fact, your you, initially you had surplus every month, 
right? And then you think, oh, okay, it's okay. This surplus I can be used to, to, to pay off a personal loan. So you take a personal loan. But then suddenly, come one month, oh, I have to pay for the uh, insurance, the car insurance. And then come another month, oh, the car service, I need to pay another 500 ringgit. So suddenly, you're, you're always behind, behind, behind. Because previously, your surplus is all being used to to pay for this personal loan. Then what happens? You tap in into other things. You say, oh, it's okay. I got credit card. So you start to use your credit card. And then that's how you get into more and more debt. At the end of the day, if you don't need the money urgently, please consider what is the wants, what is the needs, and make the decision from them. That was Idham Idris, Director and Licensed Financial Planner with Wealth Vantage Advisory. Looking back at the year, one thing that many people have complained about is almost everything around us is getting more expensive, from basic necessities to entertainment and more. This is partly due to inflation, rising interest rates, a lack of supply as a result of the pandemic, and a whole host of other issues. Annie Hall, Licensed Financial Advisor with Harveston Financial Group, talks to me about what you can do to guard your finances in this environment. Okay, um, I think there are three things I can sum up um, that perhaps people can look into. It would be number one, to relook at your monthly expenses. Number two is find ways to make more money. And number three is to find ways to grow your, your money. Okay, we'll look at number one. What, how can you relook at your monthly expenses? You really need to dive deep into your expenses and see what are the things you can trim. What are the things that you don't actually need? Okay, so you need to differentiate your need and your want. I need a phone, but I don't need a 4,000 ringgit phone, for example. So you need to go and relook at your expenses, whether it's your telco, your TV subscription, your internet bill, your gym membership, and see whether you can save even 100 here, 100 there, and that would be, and, and come to a more, and get a more cost-effective plan. Brings us down to the next point is how to find, uh, find ways to make more money. All right, so you, can, you could have a side hustle somewhere, but if you're, you know, if your day job just gives you so much, there's no salary increase and you are, you are faced with um, rising interest rate, rise, you know, inflation, things are more expensive. You, if you don't want to live in credit, you want to make more money. All right. And so find ways to make more money, like give tuition classes, e-hailing drivers, yoga instructor, baker, ushering events, whatnot. And of course, if your employment doesn't allow you to have a second job, or maybe you don't even have time to go for a second job, then you have to now learn to grow whatever money you have, grow your net worth. Because the word inflation is not just one day, two days, today, tomorrow. Because we are not the only one affected. Malaysians are not the only one affected by inflation. Everyone in the world is affected by it. Even if you can get by today, five years down the road, if your income is the same, you will be very much impacted because the money that is sitting in the bank that you have right now will depreciate in value and you will lose the purchasing power you had five years ago. So you need to actually grow your money. That was Annie Hoare, Licensed Financial Advisor from Harveston Financial Group. Now that caps our retrospective of interviews on Ringgit and Cents this year. You can listen to all these conversations featured today via podcast on the BFM app or on our website www.bfm.my. The links to the highlighted interviews are also on this podcast description. I'm Sim Weeboon from The Morning Run. Stay tuned for the 10am news bulletin and then Enterprise BFM 89.9. Ringgit and Cents on BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.